Galatians 5, 16 through 26. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these, these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I have the honor of introducing our guest speaker today, Anthony Bermel, elder in our church, um, law enforcement, kind of a tough profession now. I, I would suspect that the vast majority of our law enforcement folks are just doing their job the best they can. And there's some, uh, Hannah has to take a few phone calls sometimes of disgruntled people that, uh, Anthony, thank you for uh, doing your job. Um, <clears throat> we interact on Monday nights against each other playing softball and uh, appreciate that fellowship. So, uh, Anthony, we're looking forward to your message. Good morning. So this is the third week in a row Marlon's not here. Uh, He will be back next week. Um, So if you're getting tired of not listening to him, one more week hang in there. Um, They are on vacation this week, but I'm sure it's a little different kind of vacation than what they had hoped for or planned, uh, just with everything that's going on. Uh, It wasn't mentioned um, by Deb, but Janine's brother passed away as well. Um, so, lot, yeah, lots of loss, lots of tragedies, lots of grieving. I'm sure a lot on Marlon's plate right now. Um, he had asked me to to fill in on this particular subject, this fruit of the Spirit, uh, a while back. I had 
led a Sunday school class recently on this topic, on the fruit of the Spirit. And so he asked if I'd be willing to do this, this message. So it'll be a little bit of a challenge taking 10 weeks down to one sermon, uh, but I'll do my best here. Uh, but yeah, initially he had asked if I could do this a couple weeks ago while we were on vacation, and, and that's when Steve uh, filled in. And then he asked about the 4th of July, and, and like John alluded to, um, with my job, this was one of the busiest weekends of the year for me, so I was like, yeah, I'll do it, but then I'll race out of here and go to work. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm thankful thankful to be here, and I'm thankful the way this has worked out to be able to take something off of Marlon's plate in a, in a time like this um, as he's preparing for you know funerals and coming alongside people. And as a church family, um, sounds like people have been doing a great job stepping up to do that, but I just want to encourage that everybody you know do do what they can and do their part um let's pray uh heavenly father thank you that we can be here today that we can worship you that we can look at your word um we are thankful for the country that we live in and for this fourth of july holiday and for um the opportunity to worship you and and have religious freedom I think about those who have given their lives in service to our country and what a what an amazing picture of love. People being willing to lay down their lives for for others. Um, that's that's a very uh amazing biblical thing and and we're thankful for that. We do want to bring Marlon and Janine before you today. Uh I just really want to pray for comfort for them and that you just um Help Marlon as he is ministering to people that are hurting and, and comforting his wife and, and preparing for funerals and all these things. Pray that you'd also give him some, uh, both of them, some rest during this vacation time. Um, and thank you. Thank you that we can, as a church, come alongside those in need. The Bjorks, the Carlsons, Marlon and Janine that we would do that. I just ask that your word would come forth today. I'm thankful for the opportunity to bring the message, but I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit working uh, through this. And that we could all just put aside our distractions this morning and really focus in on what you have for us here for the next little while. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, keep those families in your prayers here. Um, if you have your study sheets, take a look at those. Um, this first introduction part that I have on the top here, this few scriptures about the coming of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to read these passages, but I want to point a couple things out that I think will be helpful as we go forward here today on this uh, sermon series on the Holy Spirit, this idea of this fruit-producing spirit. Remember in the Old Testament, most people were not filled with the Holy Spirit. There was examples of that. There were certainly people that were filled with the Holy Spirit at times. I included a few examples on there. If you want to look at those uh, yourselves, go ahead. There's many more examples, but I just I put a few down. Joshua, Samson, David, Ezekiel. Uh, there were people that at times were filled with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And guess what? It made a difference in their lives. 
what was the point of them getting the Holy Spirit? You know, if not everybody did and they got it, there was a reason for it. And uh, ultimately it was power to do God's work, you know, to proclaim his message and to do his work. Um, if you look at letter C there, John 16, 7, it says that the Holy Spirit was given for our benefit as, as believers. So there was a reason for it. It was something good, a benefit that comes from receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, Acts 1, 4 and 5 and, and verse 8, it says that we as believers receive power to do his work. Again, similar to the people of the Old Testament that received the Holy Spirit, it was power to do his work. And letter E, Acts 2, 38 and 39, and really that whole section in there, that was at Pentecost time when the Holy Spirit came on the believers and many people were added and it was kind of the start of this early church. And we see this actually perfectly following the pattern of the Great Commission in this section of Scripture where people believed and repented, they were baptized, and then they committed themselves to teaching and learning and to maturing as believers. But in verse 39 it says that all believers receive the Holy Spirit. So if you're a believer today, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Um, let's go to our main text here, Galatians 5, 16 through 26. That's what Brian read this morning. And I'm going to be reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Version. Um, so some of the wording may be a little bit different than what you have. Um, uh, I've chosen this version uh, after doing some research as, uh, I, I believe, a real accurate translation. But as especially as we get into these lists, uh, the don'ts and the do's, um, you know, you might have some slightly different wording, but should mean the same thing, but just something to keep in mind here. Uh, so verse 16, we'll just kind of go through and pick some of this stuff apart. It says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So this idea of walk, um, I think maybe Brian said something like guide. Um, so if you live your life by the Spirit, it's a day-to-day, it's all aspects of life. That's, that's the idea of walk here. It's, it's, that it's something that we are not just doing in a couple areas of life. It's something that we're allowing to transform every aspect of our lives, our day-to-day stuff. Um, and it says we will not carry out it doesn't say the desire will necessarily go away, does it? There's still opportunity there. There's still desires there from the flesh. But it says, if we are walking by the Spirit, we will not carry out those desires of the flesh. And then it goes on in verse 17, for the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. So there's this idea of war, there's this conflict, this Uh, opposition against each other. There's a tension here. You know, we maybe want to gratify the flesh, but the Spirit provides that opportunity to overcome. There is going to be tension. There's going to be a battle. That's why we don't always do the right things, right? Because we still have those desires of the flesh sometimes. But it says if we walk by the Spirit, we don't have to carry out those desires of the flesh. 
And then verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law is discussed throughout the book of Galatians. It's a main topic. It's not our focus today. Um, it's, you know, remember, again, most didn't get the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, believers do. Um, but we're going to not go into a deep dive on, on the law. Um, but that's one difference, you know. It talks about not being under the law. That was one key difference, right? That the Old Testament, not all believers got the Holy Spirit. Now we do. As we go on to verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. We get this list. And, you know, I listed, I, on the study sheet, I said the list of don'ts. You know, this is a stuff we're not supposed to do. Um, but the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. So in my translation, that's 16 items. 14 of them are kind of categorized, and we got a couple catch-alls there. Um, and I want to take a couple minutes to look at this list because I think, you know, it's important. That's, that's a long list. It's easy to just read over it, but uh, I, I want to break this down a little bit because it's interesting as you really look at it, you have a few kind of standalones, but you have some categories here. And the first one that I see that is kind of the top of the list, there's three items having to do with unity. We have strife, dissension, and faction. Again, your Bibles might use a slightly different wording, but we have this idea of conflict, you know, groups that are grouping up on different, you know, sides of uh, an issue maybe. Um, but we see that in our world, in our country, right? Just in general. Look at all the things going on around us. We have all this race stuff that has come back, right? Um, that's such a big thing now is everything's got to be about race. It's, it's this division. There's, um, there's all, you know, obviously a great political divide. There's all these different issues. There's all these different things that have really come back up. And, you know, defunding the police. Like, you have all these different issues that are so divisive. That is what is commonplace in our world, in our nation. Um, and all these things, we've got to be careful not to let them crowd into our churches, right, and amongst believers. And it happens. And we've seen over the last year and several months, it's been a tough time. I'm a relatively young guy, I guess. I mean, I, I haven't seen disunity amongst believers like I have in the last year plus, and it, it's sad. Uh, but I think it's one of these things that, obviously, it's common, and we need to guard against it, and that's why it's in there three times. You know, it, it's, it's the number one thing in this list, the number one category, having three items associated with it. The next one I see is there's two items of sexual matters. Um, we've got sexual immorality and promiscuity. 
Again, no real question why that's there, right? Uh, we look around in our world. Sexual immorality and adultery and all that is um, very prevalent. Uh, you look inside churches and lives of believers, and it's still there, isn't it? shouldn't be, but it is. It's a struggle. It's one of these items of the flesh that we have to guard against. Very destructive. The next one I see is this category of drunkenness. There's two items there. It uses the word drunkenness and carousing, or this partying idea. Um, again, big problem in society. When I, uh, years ago, I started out, I was a cop by Cass Lake, and when I look back on that time, there were two common denominators to almost all the calls that I went to and the arrests that I made, drunkenness and lack of a traditional family unit. I didn't see that over there. All the calls that I went to, those two things were there. Um, do we see drunkenness amongst believers and churches? Sometimes we do. Should it be there? Absolutely not. It's one of these things of the flesh that we need to guard against. Uh, it's, it's big. That's why it's listed there twice. There's uh, another category with two that I kind of break it down to desiring what others have or discontentment. There's jealousy, there's envy. Again, discontentment, I think. Something we need to guard against. There's uh, losing your temper. Pretty self-explanatory. I think we can understand why that's there. Hatred, another one. We have idolatry, which Colossians 3, I just ran into this the other night when I was uh, doing some reading. It says, greed is idolatry. And when, when I was doing the Sunday school lesson on, on where we looked at this list, I heard something on the radio that kind of stuck with me. It was an American missionary that was talking to a believer in India. And this American missionary asked this believer in India, he said, how can you, how, how can you stand it? How can you stay in India with all these idols around? And, you know, there it's apparently physical idols. It's, you know, images of wood and stone and whatever. And he said, how can you be in America with all the idols? Different kind of idols, uh, but greed, you know. Look around us. Uh, that, that's such a, this idea of possessions and greed is so big. Um, something we, need, again, need to guard against. I think probably we could look at these categories and everybody could probably pick something or more than one something that is a struggle for them. Um, if not, we got two catch-alls. Moral impurity and anything similar. <laughs> that kind of covers it. Um, any sin. Any sin. That's the stuff that, that war. And if we look at, again, end of verse 21... I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's how serious it is. Is It comes down to really a salvation issue, and you're like, okay, how does that work? Well, um, look at, back to verse 17, this war, this opposition. If we're walking by the Spirit, there should be this war. 
if there's no war going on in your life over sin, probably means there's no Holy Spirit. And if there's no Holy Spirit, then what does it mean? There's no eternal life. Because all believers, go back to Acts 2.39, we have the Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit, there should be a war. So if there's not a war, I think that's where this comes in about not inheriting the kingdom of God. It says, practice these things. If you're if you're just making a practice of it, then you know you're walking in it. It's it's not a war. Then yeah, there's there's an issue. There should be that war. Again, we're human beings. We make mistakes. We sin at times. But there should be that war, and it should be less and less of this, right? Um, before we go into then the fruits of the Spirit in verse 22. Keep your finger in Galatians. Let's go to John chapter 15. And we'll read this list of fruits and then we'll read in John 15. So verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we look at John 15, 1 through 8, another one that we could probably do a whole sermon on, but I just want to point out a few things out of here that I think will be very helpful. Um, because this idea of fruit, you know, that we see in Galatians 5:22, fruit, it's a product, right? So look at John 15, 1 through 8. I... And if you have a a red-letter Bible, the words of Jesus in red, this is going to be in red. So Jesus, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he, God, removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So we have this pruning idea that we see right now. Um... That can take different forms, but, you know, when you think about it with a tree, it's cutting off something to allow something to grow better, right? It might be cutting off something dead. It might be cutting off something alive that will allow it to produce more fruit. Um, So in our lives, it might be us needing to cut out things that are dead, that aren't healthy. It could be sin. Um, It could be something good that we need to get rid of to make room for something better that God has for us. Uh, it could be these trials that seems like are, are prevalent right now. Um, we talked about in Sunday school how sometimes these difficult things, you know, they produce. They produce a renewed focus on Jesus or, or whatever. Um, but, but this idea of pruning says that He, God, prunes. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. A lot of versions, I think, use the word abide. So remain or abide. Um, How do we do that? Remaining in Jesus, abiding in him. It says that's the key. can't produce fruit unless you're remaining and abiding in him. It's the things you would think of, right? But essentially, it's that walking by the Spirit. It's our day-to-day lives. It's 
spending time in the Word. It's spending time in prayer. It's spending time in fellowship with believers. It's thinking on things above, you know, and not on things of the earth. It's keeping our focus on Him. That, that's the idea of the remaining and the abiding. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them in the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So, we see that fruit is proof that we are followers of Christ. And, and it's, you know, he desires much fruit in our lives. And, you know, we kind of get, throughout this whole sermon series of the Holy Spirit, Marlon's been trying to make this, you know, these Jesus connections with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. And here we get some Jesus connections here, right? First of all, we have to remain or abide in Jesus. That's the key. That's how we produce fruit. And secondly, when you look at that list, back in Galatians 5 now, when you look at those nine items, it reminds you a lot of Jesus, doesn't it? He perfectly portrayed every one of these fruits. And, and when you look at those, you know, you can't be selfish with, with these nine things. They're other-centered and they are God-centered things. So we'll... we'll probably circle back to that a little bit, but uh, we'll go back into Galatians 5 here and continue on in our main passage. Um, So we're on to verse 24 now. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's pretty strong wording. Crucifying. Killing. And my question to you guys and to myself is, have we really taken sin that seriously to where we're crucifying it? Crucifying those passions, those desires, crucifying the flesh. That's challenging. But again, that's what's required here. That, it's, it's that serious. Um, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. There's still kind of a choice here, isn't it? There's only one clear option. We must live by the Spirit. We must follow the Spirit. But can we stifle the Spirit? Can we quench the Spirit? Sure, we can. It happens. That's why we still sin sometimes. Um, But it says we must follow the Spirit. And then verse 26. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When I was going through this, you know, preparing for the Sunday school stuff, I thought, kind of a strange way to end this section. Like, why, how does this fit? Why is this here? Um, And as I looked through it, I think it's just, I think these three things that are mentioned here, we have to be extra careful to guard against. Like, they're things that can very easily, that we can slip into. There are three things we need to take extra caution to guard against. And the first one was, uh, we, we must not become conceited. Apparently, we can become excessively proud of ourselves. Like that's pretty easy to do. Um, the next one is provoking one another. Pretty easy to do, isn't it? 
pretty easy to um, yeah to bring others to anger at times. And then the last one, envy. Again, that goes back to uh, the list. Of, uh, you know, is in there, and, and pretty easy for us to look at something that somebody else has and want it. So the three things that we need to be careful to guard against. Now, again, nine, nine fruits of the Spirit here, right? A lot of different verses in regards to each one of them, a lot of different ways we could go with this, a lot of different directions. Um, we don't have a lot of time, but what I do want to do is take a brief look at each one and just read a verse or a passage on each one that I think are, are you know, good, relevant. Again, there's a lot of different ways we could go with this, but... If you're a note taker, you know, if you want to jot down what we look at, if one or two of these become particularly interesting to you and you want to do your own study, uh, go for it. And, and my wife doesn't always like it, but I've found that Google is a really nice tool when it comes to Bible study. Like, if you want to find verses about joy, all you got to do is type in the Google machine, you know, verses about joy, and you're going to get lists of them. So if, if one of these becomes something you want to look at more at, go for it. But, so starting with love, let's turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to him. Teacher, what command in the law is the greatest? He said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the other commands, all the law and the prophets, depend on these two commands. And then it says in John 13, it also says that people will know we are followers if we love others. So we are his disciples. So, obviously, love is extremely important here. If all the commands hinge on love, uh, very, very important, and something that, again, tough for us to do on our own, right? Look at joy. First uh, Peter 1, 8 and 9. Get your work out in the Bible today. Be turning around, turning through uh, quite a few scriptures here in the next few minutes. So, First um, Peter one eight and nine says, "And you love him, though you have not seen him, and though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy." And how can we do that? Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So. Joy, really, you know, true joy, and again, I, I think probably most of you know the difference between joy and happiness, you know, but we can have true joy regardless of what's going on around us, and it really is because of salvation. That's where our joy comes from, and as a fruit of the Spirit. Peace. Uh, John 16:33, and as we're turning there, I'd like to ask the question, is peace a struggle for you in current events? 
I would guess for most people it probably is. If so, this is going to be kind of an encouraging verse here, I think, because the, the context of this is Jesus is telling his disciples, look, an hour is coming and has now come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. There's scattering. It's right before his death. It's it's really difficult time for his disciples. Um, he's telling them what's going to happen, but then in verse 33 it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Take courage, I have conquered the world. So we can still have peace in spite of any difficulties. Patience. Proverbs 14.29. Proverbs 14.29. It says, A patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. Great wisdom, great understanding for a patient person. Let's go on to kindness. Philippians 2.4. You know, it's pretty easy to get mean to each other, even in church sometimes, I think. <laughs> um, the verse that we're going to look at here, Philippians 2.4, just simply says, everyone should look out not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. That's kindness, right? Um, I think that's not... For some people, that's very natural. They're just helpers. They're wired that way. They like to look to interests of other people to help, or, you know, help them out, be an encouragement. For most of us, it's probably easier to look to our own interests, you know, when we, if we're real honest. But taking an interest in others, not only our own, um, that's kindness. Goodness. Psalm 14.3. This was an interesting one when we talked about it uh, in Sunday school. And there's several verses in Psalm, and then I think it says it in Romans again, that use this exact same wording. Essentially, uh, looking at the, the last part of verse 3 in Psalm 14, there's no one who does good, not one. So here we got the fruit of the Spirit of goodness, and we see that nobody's good. Jesus is the only one that's good. And it, it was an interesting conversation because we probably all know people who aren't believers who are like, man, they're, they're a good person. They do a lot of good things. They're very helpful. They're very kind. They're very good. And so it's, how, do we, how do we reconcile that? How, do, how does that work? And I think a couple things that I, we came up with that I think are uh, good um, points with this. You know, I think ultimately pure morality and righteousness as a pattern, you know, not just a single event or whatever, but as a pattern, that's a fruit of the Spirit. And that only comes as a fruit of the Spirit. So believers are the ones 
that, yeah, we can be good as a fruit of the Spirit, but nobody is good on their own. So how does that work out? Yeah, somebody who's not a follower of Christ can still do good things, but is it real pure goodness, like it's being described here? Maybe not. Um, Another thing that was kind of interesting in a recent membership interview, we had somebody share an experience that happened in their past, not when they were seeking God at all. And looking back on it, it was like God had used them in this circumstance, even when they weren't looking to be used by God. I think that can happen. I think God can use situations and people, even if they're not looking to be used, uh, where, where good, good can come from things. And that's, you know, God working behind the scenes. Um, on to the next one. And this is interesting. In, in my uh, translation here, it uses the word faith versus faithfulness, but then on the bottom it has a little note that says, or faithfulness. But that's two different things, right? Faith and faithfulness. So I think it's worth looking at both of them. Uh, you can turn to Hebrews. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 gives us a definition of what faith is. It says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For our ancestors won God's approval by it. But then I think just to probably a page over, Hebrews 13, verse 8, gives us a really good definition and example of what faithfulness is. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's faithfulness, unchanging. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they are unchanging. That is faithfulness. Um, Now, you know, in our own... So, for God, that's faithfulness, is unchanging. For us, faithfulness, there probably should be some changing there, right? We shouldn't be unchanging, because if we're stuck, that means we're probably stuck at not a very good place. But So, our faith and faithfulness should be ever-increasing where God's is staying the same. And just in, you know, in general, faith, you know, trust in God, faithfulness is more of a devotion to God. Let's go to gentleness. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. And this idea of gentleness, I think meekness is another word that, that is used here at times, which... It sounds like such a wimpy word, you know, meekness, but um, it's not. We'll, we'll see why here. Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And this is, again, words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sounds very nice, doesn't it? Um, and this is the same Jesus that called people out, that flipped tables in the temple on a couple different occasions, that was not afraid to stand on an issue. So we can be gentle and meek and still take a stand on things, still be assertive when we need to be assertive, but yet Jesus is still this gentle, humble, uh, 
refuge of rest for us. And the last one here, self-control. Uh, we're going to flip two places on this one, but Proverbs 25, 28, you can go to first of all. And when, when it comes to self-control, you know, I think this can be one of the most destructive if we aren't exercising self-control. You know, one small or quick lapse of judgment can cause a lot of harm or pain or far-reaching deep consequences, can it? Um, you know, a weak moment sexually can cause huge issues. Uh, we can boil over and lose our temper and do something stupid that we regret that takes a second. We can say one thing that can have a huge impact. Uh, Proverbs 25:28: A man who does not control his temper is like a city whose wall is broken down. That's a great picture of if we're not controlling ourselves. Uh, who wants to be in a city? You know, obviously, our cities don't have walls around them anymore, but we get the picture. Who wants to be in a city whose walls and shambles, you know? When we're not exercising self-control, it's like we're in shambles. First um, Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 is the main one I want to look at here for, for this one. First Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Discipline and self-control are vital in all areas of life. Starting with the tongue, like it says in James. That's, that's really where it starts, is the tongue. Um, but in, in all areas, I mean, if, if it says in verse 25 that everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything, if you have to exercise self-control in all areas of your life just to compete in a race or you know, be the best you could be in, in something, certainly in our Christian lives, that's, you know, needs to be in all areas as well. So to close this off, we're going to go to Second Peter. Second Peter, chapter one, verses three through eight. And I just think this closes this so perfectly. Uh, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness because essentially that's what this chapter in Galatians is about, this fruit-producing spirit, this fruits of the spirit. It's about godliness, right? It's about being like Jesus. So His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption in the world because of evil desires. So there's your list of don'ts. 
escaping the corruption of evil desires. For this very reason, and then you're going to see in this next list, you're going to see several of these are fruits of the Spirit. Uh, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't have these fruits and they aren't increasing in our lives, we're going to be, what's to say there, useless and unfruitful. And remember back to John 15 where it says, God, Jesus, their desire is we produce more fruit. More and more, ever increasing. Here we go. Goes the other way. If we're not increasing, we're we're useless. We're unfruitful. So, you know, some of these fruits that we looked at, you know, like joy and peace and kindness. Some of these, it's like these are kind of I idealistic traits and qualities, right? Yet life's circumstances are oftentimes not idealistic. (laughs) Um, But yet the Holy Spirit still produces fruits in us. In spite of everything going on around us and in our lives, these traits can and should be very evident, and they should be increasing. And again, you know, it's kind of twofold here. We're abiding in Christ. We're remaining in Him. We're walking by Him and by the Holy Spirit. And then it's that supernatural thing, too, you know, with the Holy Spirit. It's like, you do that, you're going to produce these things. The Holy Spirit will produce these fruits in us if we abide in Christ. So let's do that so we're not useless and unfruitful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word and for this time that we can just set aside as this is the most important thing we can do is spend time with you and in your word and we pray that it would impact our lives, that it would truly change our hearts, that we would abide in you, that we would allow you to produce these fruits in us. Yeah, there's things we need to do in a way, but it's it's abiding staying in Christ. Uh, that's, that's how this fruit is produced. But for the day-to-day, we would keep our focus on you, that we would uh, not give in to, the, to our flesh, not give in to this battle. Uh, we pray that there would be a battle that we would uh, allow your Holy Spirit to, uh, to win out when these opportunities and these temptations come along to gratify the flesh, that we would not do that but that we would be fruitful, uh, fruitful believers and just maturing. We praise you and ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you for that. Thank you for that challenge.